0: Hello there guys and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week I am joined by the actress, author, education coordinator and Sin City cinephile Miss Tonya Todd. Just a couple of quick points before the chat gets started. Tonya and I speak about quite a variety of different things here, and it's just one longer episode. Uh, One of the things we speak about is one of Tonya's upcoming live performances. Uh, She performs this with a group called Baird at the Bar, and she performs in Caesar and Cleopatra. I've included a link in the description for the live event. It's on August 23rd, and it's at 5pm Pacific time, which is around 2am here in England, Greenwich Mean Time. event details and whatnot are in the description and also as well as that live performance we only touch on at the start we speak about loads of other things including shakespeare tonya's writing her role as an education coordinator the lack of diversity in writing and media um, representation of disabilities and things how tonya got into acting and then towards the end of the chat we get into some nerdier things revolving x-men hugh jackman's wolverine uh, star wars the marvel cinematic universe but there are no spoilers about those things in it either so that's what you can kind of expect from this chat I will also say that Tonya and I have already got a chat organized in August which will probably come out I imagine september e sort of time um, I've got loads of chats recorded right now so there's quite a few going on but that chat which we're going to be doing in August September time that's going to be purely about nerdy stuff so if you liked how this chat sort of ended and us talking about as I said the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars and things we're planning a chat which we're just going to talk about nerdy films and superheroes and all that sort of jazz without as much a political twist on them because this chat is quite political in the realms of representation i will also quickly say there's a gentleman called bruce wozniak from now hear this he also has a podcast called now hear this entertainment he's the individual who got myself and tonya introduced and things and also he i've already got a chat with him recorded but because of tonya's live event and things i want to get this chat out sooner and then in a couple of weeks' time, I'll be getting the full two part chat out with Bruce Wozniak, and we'll get into more details about those things later. So that's just about it for me, guys. I won't ramble on anymore. Um, there will be a quick promo for the In The Black podcast playing on this one. They've had been on the show before a little while ago. Me and Tonya very briefly discussed them and they're an amazing podcasts. I can never recommend them enough. So be sure to check those guys out. There is a link for that in the description. Anyway, that's enough from me. So the chat will get started after the promo and then I'll be back right at the end to tell you guys what's coming up and to give a bit more information of some of the things I've spoken about here and also in the chat. So really appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you follow on all the usual social media places, leave reviews on iTunes, all those usual things and i'll talk to you at the end what's up family it's your boy big o mr in the black himself host of the in the black podcast join me and my co-host phil the orange crush hey and rick hustle hard hey As we discuss the current events, social issues, and hot topics going on in your black world. Everything from love to politics, entertainment, financial empowerment, and much more. And all from the perspective of three black working professionals and family men. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can stream your podcast from. So come join in on our conversation. And as always, informed, intelligent, in the black. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. Okay, and I am joined today by Tonya Todd. Tonya, it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the show. If you want to say hello to the many listeners and tell people what you're up to, really.
1: Hi, this is Tonya Todd from Las Vegas, Nevada in the States. I am an author and actress, and I'm the education chair for Henderson Writers Group.
0: That's amazing. And also you've got an online, maybe not alter ego, but you called it the Sin City cinephile. Is that because of Sin City as in being in Vegas or is it because of Sin City you love the movie?
1: It's because of being in Vegas and I love movies, but I do happen to like that movie too.
0: (laughs) I love the director, Robert Rodriguez. I haven't seen Sin City because I'm a terrible person. I've got it on DVD, (laughs) uh, but I love a lot of his other things, which is, is that the most cop-out thing ever? It's like, have you seen this? No, but I own it. It's like, Yeah, why do you
1: own it if you're not going to watch
0: it? I've I've got like 500 or 600, including Blu-ray's films uh, on DVD and Blu-ray, and I've watched almost all of them. I've got about 30 or so that I haven't, and it's just on this endless list of, was all these Netflix series coming out. Oh, and also you're a podcaster. Oh, and you have a life. And also other new things that are coming out. Well, that that
1: one's definitely (laughs) worth watching. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, I love his other work. Um, so, like Machete, I absolutely adore the Machete films and Planet Terror and things. So, I will be getting onto that. But I don't want to start by talking about films because I will go down a rabbit hole. A hole <laughs>
1: It'll be the entire films. time. <laughs> and,
0: exactly. And I love movie chats, but you are a very interesting person with many other interesting things uh, to talk about. So, why don't we start off with uh, you have a performance coming up soon. So, I wondered if you could sort of talk about that and then we'll include details in the show notes and talk about what's going on with it with the shakespearean stuff man i sound literate today
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's late there for
0: you right not late enough
1: (laughs) (laughs) i am part of a troupe called bard at the bar and we've been doing this for about two years it started out as just condensed versions roughly an hour to an hour and 15 minutes of shakespeare's works we perform in bars and it's right I mean, it's pretty immersive. It's right there in the faces of the crowd. And it was getting to the point where there were almost too many people coming to the shows. It was making some of the the people who own the bars nervous. And so we were already restricting the number of people coming. And then lockdown happened. We were about to do Caesar and Cleopatra, which is a mashup of those two plays. We were scheduled to do that on the Ides of March. And that's when everything was shut down. So we never got to perform this after all of our months of preparing it. And so what we're going to do is film it this weekend, and then we are going to stream it. We can't sell tickets because, you know, we're still relatively locked down here, which means that the actors are not going to get paid unless we have donations. (laughs) So we are asking for donations for that. But, you know, if you don't have it because you haven't been able to work in months, we still would love to show it to you. And then one of the things we're doing is a Q&A afterward. That part will be $10 per person if you want to join a Zoom session Q&A where you can chat with the director and the actors. We're we're making ourselves available August 23rd at 7 p.m. That's when the Q&A is. And it's 5 p.m. is when the show is.
0: Cool. And uh, what, so, just for clarity, uh, is that the time zone that you're in currently?
1: Yes. Sorry. It's Pacific time zone. <laughs>
0: 5pm. That's cool. I'll, um, what I'll make sure I do is in the description. I'll also add in for any of my English listeners uh, what the timing is there. And if anyone's in any other time zones, go online. You can figure it <laughs> out. <laughs> we'll include links and things in the description. I mean, the amount of times I have to work out from guests what the time zone is from there to here. It's so many time zones in America, it's far too many. I'm for just
1: scheduling brain. this interview, but, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. That's the thing. It's, it's look, Because I work as well for a living and I, I'm working from home and my work life hasn't really been interrupted due to COVID. I'm just, instead of working in an office, I'm working at home and listening to music I like. Uh, <laughs> so it's not really changed that much, but I'm a little bit more flexible for hours and things, but I still have to work things in. So yeah, I mean, I want to ask with Shakespeare, um, because obviously I'm English, so Shakespeare is quite a big deal over here. And I'm going on a trip actually in a couple of weeks. And we're, we were going to swing by Stratford-upon-Avon, which is where he... I don't know if it's grew up or lived, but that's where he wrote a lot of his a lot of his works. And you can go to his house where he actually wrote a lot of the things there. Uh, but because of the lockdown, it's closed at the moment. So annoyingly, I'm going to have to postpone that to next year. Um, but Shakespeare is a very interesting character here for heritage and obviously English language, etc. But you yourself are, well, you have quite an interest in Shakespeare and things. I wonder if you could tell me some of your favourite uh, works of Shakespeare and if there's anything in particular that got you into Shakespeare or what kind of started this love or anything like that.
1: It was definitely the language that got me interested in it. Even his insults are beautiful. And so I, you know, I read the the condensed versions as a kid. I didn't know they were the condensed versions at the time, but, you know, then you, you get older and you're like, oh, there's more, there's more to this and <laughs> you get all the details and you see. Then you start studying theater and you see, oh, this scene right here, this was costume changes. <laughs> you know, This was so people could go swap out whatever they were wearing for the next scene. But he still made it interesting. It's, like, it's really brilliant the way that he wrote his things. He came up with so many different words that we use all the time, so many phrases that we use. You don't have to love Shakespeare to acknowledge his importance in the literary world.
0: It's a very good way of putting it. I mean, I learned about it, uh, about it, about him in school and things. And I find that it's quite hit and miss, not only with, as an audience, but also what what you sort of choose in a sense of, you know, I was a teenager when I uh, read Shakespeare and things, which is probably the worst time to get anyone into Shakespeare is when they're a teenager and they can a know it all. <laughs> and especially me. Ugh. Um, so we read King Lear, which the story is fairly good, but we read the... We read. I think it wasn't the condensed version. I think it was the normal full-on gigantic version. And no one in the class could really deal with it very seriously. And the teacher wasn't great at teaching it. And we were just sick of it. But I remember that in primary school, so this was, I can't remember what it's called over there. But when I was about eight, um, eight years old, I saw a performance of Macbeth. And they they came to the school and they did it. And I was absolutely mystified. That's a great one to see. (laughs) It's so good. And it's so much fun. And also uh, Midsummer's Night Dream that's a cracking one as well. So I've, and obviously everyone knows Romeo and Juliet, you know, that's one of the, if not the most famous story ever, um, apart from arguably religious doctrine. But it's one of those things where he, as you say, he's had such an impact, he's impossible to ignore. And even Mm -hmm. if you don't specifically like his works as in the written form or anything like that, an old English teacher of mine actually said uh, to me, he was like, the thing is with Shakespeare. It doesn't matter if you like him or not, because he created like two or three stories, which, nowadays I think the teacher said he was like there's like 10 or so stories essentially and every everything else is just a complication of that story so there's like the lover's tragedy well that's Romeo and Juliet and obviously you know West Side Story that's basically the same thing again and with Macbeth and with Much Ado About Nothing being a comedy and it's, it's if you check his stories and then you check all of stuff that comes out today you can match so many stories to the core ideas of what were going on in those original ones. So do you have like a favourite story of his at all?
1: My favourite tragedy is Hamlet and my favourite comedy is... A Midsummer Night's Dream but my name is Tanya and Titania is a derivative of that so I am the fairy queen
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's that's very good I very much enjoy that and so, so with your literary work as well I mean you're an author as well which is an incredible feat in itself so how did you get into writing specific was that from quite a young age or did that sort of develop as you got older
1: I did like to write stories when I was younger but I never really believed that that was a future that I could have there aren't a lot of people who Look like me that were authors at the time, at least not famous authors, not ones that were promoted. So I just didn't think it was an option. But when I, you know, I I kept dabbling in stories and things would come to mind. I did not think of myself as a writer though. And a few times I would get this burst of something in a dream and I would just write it and would take over. And one of those stories ended up, you know, I I wrote 200,000 words, like, you know what? I think this is multiple books, and I think I'm doing this. You know, <laughs> I think this is something I care enough about if it's consumed this much of my life that I'm going to start working on it. And so I did. I I reduced that book to eighty thousand words, and that's the one that I'm querying right now. It is, you know, I'm I'm hoping it will become a series. I haven't thrown out all of those other words. I just <laughs> removed them from this particular story. I've had other ideas. I have like seven other stories that are begging me to start working on them.
0: <laughs> mm. And with this one, is it? I've read. I, I maybe confused it with something else, but I, I, was it something on the website about? Was it London's calling or something along those lines?
1: Yeah, it's so, a lot. That's in my head. That's what I call the series, the London Calling series. Mm. There is a character named London, and there is a different character who is from London. So it, and it's funny. I did not even think of the name London. There is a, someone who lived on my street. You know, I was trying to come up with a name for this character. It's like, what's his name? What's his name? And there is a man on my street who looked just like him, and his name was London. And it was, it's the London Calling series. How did I not think of this name on my own? <laughs>
0: wow. That's amazing. And you've also, as well as this that series that's going to be well series that hopefully will become a series um you've also written a few short stories as well uh to my knowledge and that's been released in a couple of other works too so are you are you someone who just has some so many stories you kind of just put them almost all out there or did you specifically go i'm going to release a short story i'm going to release a series that that sort of thing
1: i do have a lot of stories but i don't have a lot of time to develop all of them so i will pick which one i'm going to focus on I'm one of those people where the characters actually talk to you. So sometimes I'll be in the middle of a workout or something and someone will just start chattering away. And it's like, Oh, I have (laughs) to remember this. I have to remember this and I'll go put it down, but I won't work on the story. I'll just get the, the thoughts out. But for the first story that I released, it was one of the writing groups was asking for submissions for Nevada based stories of redemption. And I correlated a few things that I was working on. It's like, you know what? This is redemption. Let me just focus on this and turn this into a story. And, you know, it, it made the cut apparently. (laughs) So that's how that one got published. They said that they were curating it, but you know, you look back at those old stories and it's, Oh, I would tweak this. I would change this. Whenever I read it in public, I, I, i edit it as i'm going (laughs) 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 it's never all the way right you know what i mean Mm, that's
0: the uh that's almost the the pure suffrage of a creative person it's i mean i when i was in college i made a couple of music videos for bands and things i was on youtube with my friend for a little bit and then i made music videos and Yeah, big gap, and then it's podcasting. And there's a couple of a couple of music videos I made that are on YouTube, and I'm really proud of them. But there's one specifically. There's one or two moments in there, and I look at it now, and my mate after I finished it and stuff, I submitted it for a a media uh, piece in college, and I submitted it and things. And yeah, about two or three weeks later, my mate went, "I really like the video, but what's up with this scene?" And I was like. (laughs) Why? Di- I've shown you this video like four times. Why did you not tell me this before? And now like, every time I see it, I'm just like, no, <laughs> it's like.
1: Now it's uh, painful, right? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. And it's like, that was a th- just a silly little thing I made when I was in college. It, and it you, you see me in it and you can see how young I am. So kind of, but with written work and I know with um, a lot of individuals that I'm either friends with or I've spoken to on the podcast, when it comes to music, they're the same. Where it's like sometimes people get stuck on one song and they can just tweak it every two weeks and just keep and right. never release it. Because they keep tweaking it so much, and a lot of the time it's like one of those things where sometimes you've got to just kind of cut the cord and just send it yes. out and be like,
1: "No, release God. it." <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So I want to ask as well, um, specifically regarding one of your job roles, is uh, the education coordinator for the Henderson Writers Group. I have to specifically look at my notes to remember that. It, how, <laughs> I, I'm interested to know sort of what that generally entails, um, how you sort of got into it, and then. Well, I'll ask you those two first and then we'll kind of bounce off that. So what does that sort of entail and how'd you get into it?
1: After I wrote those 200,000 words and realized, okay, I need to figure out what I'm doing here. I joined Henderson writers group. I started going, it's not the only group that I joined. I'm part of several literary groups here, but they were very welcoming. Gregory A. Compass, who is an author was the president at the time. And he took me in and mentored me and, the whole group was just so wonderful and welcoming that when it came time for elections, I was slightly coerced, but, you know, I was grateful that it happened to run for education coordinator. And so I've, I've been doing that for about three years now, next spring, I think it will be the end of the four year cycle. And so what I do is I bring in the speakers every month. I, we have a, A monthly speaker, sometimes too, depending on whether we have, you know, how long the month is. We, If we have a fifth Wednesday, I'll do a speaker there too. And I bring in someone to teach a topic about craft or about marketing or about publishing or, you know, poetry or how to use social media, something to help authors in their careers at no matter what level they happen to be. And then... As a result of being the education chair, we, we used to have a conference coordinator because we would do a conference every year, but we didn't have a conference coordinator this last year. So I'm already handling faculty on a monthly basis. I ended up having to do the faculty for the conference, which is a much bigger job, <laughs> but it put me in contact with a lot of amazing people. So, you know, it, it might be hard work, but I'm grateful for it.
0: Hmm, and so bouncing off that, uh, one of the things that I've noted on your website is about diversity in literature. And you said slightly earlier on in the chat um, about people who don't look like you, and so you're a person of color. And with that in itself, obviously i'm i'm a white person for, well, i'm a white male from england who's 26 so i'm pretty <laughs> uh, the privileged ladder regardless of people's ideas of how much privilege there is or isn't i i'm pretty high up i'm not going to deny that and i'm very thankful for that so i want to ask keeping it in that sort of realm from my perspective obviously it's not as easy for me when i when i was younger growing up obviously there's a lot of role models and things who you know looks like me in, in air quotes and being a man as well it's even furthered so i want to know Regarding literature, what do you think some of the issues are there and what have you sort of noticed? Some some of the sort of issues in diversity and, and whatnot about literature in general?
1: Well, some of the problems are that if you read a story, if the person or the character is not specifically stated otherwise, you tend to presume that the person is white and straight. And that's because we've been trained through years and years of media literature that that's what normal is Hmm. and so even people of color or people who are part of the lgbtq community can read a story and until the author decides to, to state specifically no this person is gay you don't know and that's problematic because that causes identity issues in in readers i mean when you're growing up and you're reading All these amazing stories, but none of the main characters look like you. It tells you that you can't be the lead in your own story, that you're you put on this planet to be the side character for people who look like that. And even with, you know, white characters, you're taught that the fairer the skin, the more beautiful the woman, which is ridiculous because there are beautiful people of all different shades.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. It's a, it's a very, it's one of those situations where I've spoken to other individuals, uh, both of colour and white, um, who, with with this scenario, it's one of those things where it seems like the solution is going to be a long one, but it's as long as enough. If there's enough diversification, I think, in in the literary world, both from an author's perspective and also characters within that, do you see some, do you see the literary world changing over the last sort of few years and things or, and also how do you think it's, it's going to go in the years to come?
1: I've seen a call for own voices stories. I mean, it's, it is very long and complicated. And Hmm. every time we, we as a collective world try to fix something, but we introduce a new potential problem. So, there's the call for own voices stories, but then the publishing industry wants you to have to focus on your diversity. Well, why can't we just tell a story about falling in love or trying to find a job? Why does it have to be, well, I'm having trouble because I'm other. Hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: I've been trying to query this book for a long time and I've been told things like, my character isn't black enough. I've been told this by white agents but your character is not black enough well not all black people are exactly the same and who are you to tell me how black is black enough Hmm. and you hear things like because my my character is very anachronistic because she's she uses the same kind of language that I would and that would be the that's going to be the case for all of my stories that they all carry some piece of me this one happens to take that piece of me so they want the story to focus more on her struggles with being Black. Why Why can't that just be one aspect of her life? Why does that need to be the problem in the story? Because that also tells people that that's the only story that Black people have to tell. And that's a problem too. There's, there's. I don't know if you've heard the danger of a single story.
0: I've not, please film me.
1: I will send you the it's a, it's a Ted talk. I will send oh, it to okay. you because awesome. I think it would be really beneficial for just everyone to listen to this story. Yeah, to listen it to tell it. If this is the only narrative that you hear, you're going to believe that that's the only narrative that exists for anybody who looks like that. And yes, racial problems do happen. And yes, people, ha- you know, people who are gay come out at some point but that's not the only narrative that they have going on in their lives. And all of their stories should not have to revolve around that. Hmm. I will say that the theater has done a, a better job of ignoring race, not ignoring it, but not using it as a reason maybe not to cast someone. I saw Hamlet in London and I want to say it was 2017 and Tom Hiddleston was Hamlet, but the person playing his father was a very dark black man. And the person playing his mother, I can't remember her name, but she was wonderful. I believe that she was of Indian descent. And nobody cared. They were a family. It didn't matter. And King Claudius, he was a white man. So in the theater, they just integrate everybody and you tell the story. Diversity is less of a problem there. I will say that in film, they tend to want it to seem more realistic in the terms of, well, if your shade is this and your shade is this, you can't be a family. Mm. But people are made up of interracial families all the time.
0: Yeah. I was going to say as well, with, the, with theatre, one thing I noted was um, with Harry Potter and the Cursed Child... Um, which if anyone is listening and doesn't know about Harry Potter very much, there were seven books. They made eight films. Well, seven main books. They made eight films. And then years later, J.K. Rowling made a book, which is basically just a script for the stage production. And the individual who's cast as Hermione was a black woman. And there was actually quite a lot of uproar about it which is one of those things where i hear about it and i'm like there's so many things in the world to be angry about and you're angry that the character you've seen on like it's they all go hermione isn't black and it's like jk rowling had to come out and say read harry potter i have never once stated hermione's skin color ever so there's no reason you just
1: presume that if it's not stated
0: (laughs) Exactly, and, th- and that's the People problem.
1: a straight white person.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I spoke I spoke with three individuals um, whose opinions I really respect. Um, they're from a podcast called In the Black Podcast, and, and they came on the show a little while ago, uh, and hopefully I'm going to have them on again. And I listened to their podcast uh, for a lot of perspectives because they're in America and they're black individuals and they speak about things from a black perspective. And one of the things we spoke about, uh, which I found interesting, or rather one thing I heard about them speak about on their podcast was exactly what you said. And they said, especially when they were younger... If they read any books or heard a description of anyone who was in a, in a hero, they would see them as white. And one of the weirdest things that, that struck me was one of them said, and asked the, the other two, they was like, um, when you guys used to imagine and have daydreams about being a superhero, did you imagine yourselves to be white? And they would say yes, because there's because so much told content.
1: that's what a hero is. And that's, this is what you need to look like to be the good guy in this story, to be the hero in this story.
0: Exactly, and it is a big problem. The thing, Black Panther is is one of those movies which has caused it's caused people to rethink certain uh, opinions about movies and things like that. Because before Black Panther, you know, if you said to me name some black superheroes, I'd have said Luke Cage and Blade, but that's because of Blade seeing that in the nineties and amazing film franchise for the first two thirds, and then you've got (laughs) Luke Cage, which is quite a recent. Obviously, Luke Cage has existed as a character for a long period of time, but the Netflix series right. is what brought him to the, the front a lot more. um And you think, well, I could name three. Well, then you go to, okay, how many white ones can you name? Would well, every single other one right. and it, endless? It, and it makes you think. And it, obviously, as I said, as an individual who. This is a story I've said, whenever race comes up on a podcast, I like say this story because it's. I'm almost ashamed of it, but not at the same time. When I didn't know racism was a thing until I was eight years old, because I watched an episode of That's So Raven, and it's an episode where she doesn't get uh, her friend Chelsea, who's white, gets a job, and Raven doesn't. And then it's be- and then this store manager says to uh, the white girl Chelsea, "Oh, I don't hire black people." And I remember watching that, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Because I, I, in my school, <laughs> in my school, I I interacted with black individuals and people of color, and even uh, it's quite a diverse amount of races. So I never in my head, I'd never even thought about treating anyone differently because of that. And I watched that episode and I was like, wait, what people, what? And that was the, because it's one of those things where I feel like as a white individual, it often gets overlooked of we don't think of the other perspective because it's so not in the front of the sort of social zeitgeist. It's not really ever spoken about. It's only spoken about, say, in groups of people who are specifically speaking about representation of people of colour and things like that. A lot of, us white people don't even think about it until it's literally in our face which i think is one of the the positive things that black panther did in certain ways of being like pointing a finger at the issue and starting a dialogue but i'm interested in your sort of thoughts on that regard
1: what you just said is that we we don't think about it unless it's specifically in our face that is privilege right there exactly Mm -hmm. that you don't have to you have the option to not think about it unless it is right front and center shoved in your face exactly Whereas if you are part of one of those communities, you cannot escape it. It is always there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've read some of the, the criticism about the Marvel cinematic universe regarding race lately, but black Panther is apparently the only one that had black people working behind the scenes on the crew as part, you know, as producers. So a lot of the, the things that need to change are not necessarily in front of the camera, but behind the camera, behind the scenes.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's with Luke Cage. I think that was one of the, of the the multiple Netflix series that was released. They were pushing that forward and saying, you know, there's so many people who are writers who are um, people of color and directors, as well as the actors and a lot of people involved. But, It seems like a lot of these big corporations, unfortunately, a lot of the time, it is almost like a tick box for them in certain regards. Not that Luke Cage is brilliant and the people working on it weren't brilliant and the same with Black Panther, but they have to... It's like, you know, Black Panther was uh, was just before Infinity War, so I think it was like the 16th film around that regard. So it's like, it took you 16 films to even incorporate any element of that. Obviously, he was in Civil War, but... mm, and it is one of those things where that's the ultimate idea, and that's what I agree with you completely.
1: There's about. also Nick Fury. I mean, he he's yeah. a pretty big character. Didn't used to be he didn't used to be white. I mean, they the comics actually changed him and modeled him after Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> and then they're like, "Who are we going yeah. to get to play him? Well, how about the guy we modeled him after?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: It is one of those things, and I think that that is one of the most uh, upsetting issue, upsetting things about the sort of uh, the white privilege owning is that it's exactly that I haven't had to think about these things, and I've had to actively seek out a podcast in the black podcast to even get a black perspective that I can you know trust honestly. Right, yeah, and it, it shouldn't be like that. And I
1: don't think that Kevin Feige was specifically trying to prevent black people from being part of his his behind-the-scenes mm. crew, I think it just isn't something that he thought exactly.
0: about. And I think that's the biggest problem with, with these sort of things. It's just these things get overlooked because if if the person in charge or make, pulling the strings or anything, if they aren't thinking about this element of things, it may not come to the front line for ages. It's like an afterthought, which is one of the issues that people mm-hmm. said about Black panthers again, which is obviously it's great in loads and loads of ways, but it took so long to get there. And it's the same with women. It's like with it took till I think Captain Marvel is the... First Marvel Cinematic Universe film to have the main character as a woman, excluding you know you've got you have got Black right and,
1: and that film was That's, regrettable
0: That was probably I'd say the worst of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, apart from probably Iron Man two, Thor two, and maybe the Incredible Hulk, but it, or maybe I don't know. It,
1: I, I think it's definitely worse than
0: all. Yeah, of it's films. it's definitely not my favourite for <laughs> them. will say that. What's the conflict? What's the conflict in that story? What is in? What's the conflict in Captain Marvel? What's the conflict in my own? Yeah. Uh, no. In Captain Marvel is that she is she's a strong woman, but then she gets brainwashed or she loses her memory rather because then this controlling force of people are trying to use her power for their own sort of good and trying to shield her from being able to see what she truly was,
1: which was even more powerful than she was for the rest of the film. Yeah, right? exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: So. At what point were you worried for her safety?
0: Uh, I can't remember. I think that was probably one of the things about the film I don't think I ever was.
1: That this character has no weaknesses in this
0: film. Mm.
1: Now, in the comics, she has weaknesses, but in the film, it's no, we are just celebrating women. Well, women have weaknesses too. You're actually doing a disservice if you if you claim that there are zero weaknesses in a person because that makes them dull. Mm also they portrayed her as very manly and that's again associating power with being a man mm. you can be very feminine and be even more powerful than a man
0: oh yeah 100 percent. and it's it's one of those weird struggles as well because this is once again something i hadn't thought of until recently where i, I had a chat with a, a couple of friends of mine about dc movies and we talked about dc compared to marvel and they were like oh well, dc is quite ahead of the curve in a lot of ways and i was like oh how's that and they went oh wonder woman and he said that, and I, I didn't even click then. And he was like, and I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, you know, first female, big film in, you know, X amount of time. And I was like, see, it, it's another layer of, I didn't even think about that. Because right. I watch these films okay. that come out and I don't, because I don't have to, I'd, I don't have to worry about these things. So my brain doesn't necessarily go there. I have to keep uh revising my own thought and trying to have people on the show and speak to people and hear podcasts about people who have alternate perspectives because i think the echo chamber of complacency is so easy to get sort of stuck in and it just stagnates things for decades none
1: of us want to think about this none of us want to focus on this we want to just enjoy the movies but in the interest of fairness i appreciate that you're even attempting to expand your mind and learn more about all of these things because it would be very easy for you to say, no, nope, I'm just going to stay in my bubble because it's working for me.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things with the movements that are going on around the world, like the black lives matter movement and a lot of the other things, they, they have their place and there's a lot of things changing in the social zeitgeist. I keep saying that word, make me sound like I'm so clever. When I'm not, But occasionally I say that word and I'm like, do I need to say that word? Is there any other word? And then I can't think of another word that makes sense, but still, I, f- I feel like I'm such a prat when I say that. Um, it is one of those things where it's like with this show i I always try and be honest as honest and open as i can which is why i say the story about me not understanding racism to show i came from a place of privilege to such a degree i didn't understand it and i feel like there's so many people and i I would maybe say the majority of uh white individuals are not racist they are just as i said complacent they're an echo chamber they haven't thought about these things there's so many people i know who are um My girlfriend, she has a friend in America, and she lives in either North or South Carolina, and I can't remember which one. Um, And she said that for years, she never even came to contact with a person of colour. And because of that, it's something that a lot of people just don't even think about because you don't see this kind of person. They don't come into your mind, and then you get to, you know, 20 or whatever. And is there any way that you think things can, can get better and can change? Is there any ideas that you have of things that can happen i mean obviously you said about the whole you gotta have people in there that aren't just tokens in a sense of being like you know here's our one black individual in the film who's a nice side character and they're a scientist and that's the end of their story and it's like
1: and they their purpose is to serve the white character (laughs) (laughs) either with wisdom or protection or just simply being the the funny guy on the side you know (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. So do you have any thoughts or, or hopes for going forward aside from the, that sort of idea?
1: Well, there has been a very positive movement of people in both the publishing industry and the film industry trying to open more doors. Because, you know, nobody wants it to be that it's treated like affirmative action because everyone should have to learn their craft. Everyone should have to do their job well. But maybe... Don't make it so don't give that extra challenge of having to overcome your blackness or overcome your color, or even overcome having to be a woman to get into certain industries. If you open your own network to more people who are different from you. And I think this is advice for everyone, not just white people. I think everyone should be more open to accepting people who are different from them within their own networks because that's how the real work gets done that's how promotions happen you you know somebody it's almost always people that you happen to know well if you don't spend any of your time with gay people then you're probably not going to incorporate that into whatever work you do if you don't spend any time with black people you'll never even think about those perspectives because you're too narrow minded and you've made your circle of you know your own circle your tribe it's too
0: narrow-minded. Mm. That's a very interesting point point. and um, may I ask if you don't wish to answer this question that's completely fine but may I ask um, what is you use the term blackness do you mind me asking what that is to you in a sense because the reason I ask is because with as a white individual and a lot of people in England as an example you speak to them and you go oh what's your heritage what, what where did your family come from? Mm-hmm. The answer is, I don't know. Right. <laughs> a lot of the individuals of colour that you speak with, they can say, oh my, yeah, you know, I know in America it's quite a bigger thing because it's a young nation, but it's like, oh yeah, my grandmother was from here and here, and then every Sunday we used to meet up and have food specifically from that country. And I, I'm interested to know what not only blackness is to you, but also what heritage is to you.
1: Well, I'm biracial, so I, I get heritage from multiple ends. And the thing is, with the black side, I have no idea where it comes from. I know all of the white side, I don't know any of the black side, but I've never done the DNA test, which is a shame because my mother bought a kit for me and I just haven't sent it in yet. (laughs) (laughs) And she is going to hear this interview. She is my biggest fan and now I have to hide this from her.
0: Oh, I'm sorry to bring that up.
1: That's okay. You have now prompted me to send in that kit. So I get these that's answers. It. And the next time and you we, got to tell me, right. The next time we talk, I will have the answer.
0: 100%. Exactly.
1: So heritage, it's going to be different for every person. Some people, that's something that's drilled into them by their family from day one. And some people... They just consider themselves mutts and it doesn't matter, especially in America. Everyone is from somewhere else, unless you're a native. And I don't know that I can define blackness for anybody. I don't don't think about whiteness and blackness, probably because I am biracial. Maybe if I were just Hmm. black, it would be different. But for me, it's always been about not denying any part of myself, Because growing up, people would try to make me choose, well, you have to decide which side are you going to be on. Well, I'm not going to deny half of my heritage to make you feel better. And I can love my white family and my black family and both those parts of myself, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: that's an interesting way. I I like to ask, um, or I've asked people previously, and I'm I'm always intrigued by that because the term blackness, uh, from what I've heard of, you know, this podcast that I listen to and things, it, it gets brought up quite a lot in. The black community and things and in america i feel that skin color is more of a divisive factor than it is over here in the uk because in the uk i'm not saying we're less racist in the uk but it's it's more
1: classic it's than racist it, right
0: <laughs> <laughs> well there's definitely a lot of that um but it's also it's, it's a very strange thing i've explained it before uh, on the show to people but it's in america it seems to be you know it's there's a lot of the white and black, and then there's also Mexicans. They're the, they're almost the three groups that are basically spoken about a lot of the time. Whereas in the UK, it's not quite the same as that. I, To my knowledge, I'm I'm not saying there's no racism in the UK from white to black people, obviously. But from what I've seen and experienced and things, there doesn't seem to be as much of a white and black racism clash. Like, you know, you guys have got issues of police brutality, Black Lives Matter, all those other things. But over here, it seems to be more so against... Immig- immigrants but it seems to be worse when the immigrants are of color so for example people from Poland come over here quite a lot I've got a friend of mine called Justina she came on here she's Polish no problem with people coming over here I'm not hard on that sort of jazz but she's from Poland she's an immigrant there was a while that a lot of English people were oh, all these Polish and all that sort of stuff and then that slowly has tweaked into now more against people who are from the Middle East but it's against people who are Muslim which is a really weird thing because it's like you're against someone who is an immigrant because of a religion, which doesn't represent all the other people in the religion, but it seems to be kind of worse than the uh, racism against people who say immigrants from Poland, because generally if you're from the Middle East and things, and I think more common factor is if you worship Islam, you are more likely to have a darker skin tone. And I feel like that factor mixing with immigration is a part of the problem in the uk but it seems to be a lot against immigration which is weird for an island who's been yeah. conquered a hundred <laughs> times it's like we like we are an island like we are <laughs> we are all immigrants and it's it's kind of interesting over in america where it's it's a similar thing but it, it just seems like in america is much more of the skin color more so than the immigration but i don't know if that's just from an outsider perspective obviously i think geographically speaking it's a bit different.
1: I think a lot of that has to do with the way slavery ended here. Mm. And, you know, slavery happened all over the place, but it was, it's not something that this country let go of easily. And then the residual pain and the residual clashing that happened for years over that is just not something that this country has healed from yet. Add to that there is colorism because the lighter your shade, the more likely you are to be considered safe, which is ridiculous. Okay. It doesn't matter how you look. It matters what kind of person you are. There are all different types of danger, whether it's a physical threat or one to your mental health or one to your career. I, I just cannot fathom judging someone's value based on their appearance. There could be a brilliant mind in there. There could be just an amazing heart in there, but you can't get past the color of their skin. Then it's really your loss. You know what I mean? Mm. I just last week, I did a film on colorism and I play the mother to a very dark little girl who's, you know, from her point of view, the world is different than it would be from my point of view because I'm not so dark It's really a heartbreaking film. We were supposed to do this before lockdown, but, you know, it couldn't happen and things opened up very briefly here and they're like, well, let's do it now. Let's just do it now. And it it was before George Floyd and all of that because this stuff was happening before it was exposed to the rest of the world, you know? (laughs) I also did a film earlier this year called To Kill a Cop and it's about a white cop who kills a black person. And it's just, wow, all this stuff that I was already working on before these issues came to light for the rest of the world. And so it's been kind of a surreal experience, you know, is kind of to teach people stuff. And then it's like, oh, do I, do I want to promote this film that now feels like I'm making some big statement? And it's a it's a great work, you know, that it was the writer's first job. And I thought he did a really tremendous Considering it's his first time, I was really impressed by by the level of writing. And then I know some of the people who worked on it, and they're amazing actors. So it's a great story, regardless of what else happened this year. But then this did happen this year. And when the trailer came out, I was a little hesitant to share it with people at first, because you were just learning some really dark and negative things about people that you thought we're friends or you, you thought we're allies. And I, I'll be honest. I'm grateful to know the truth. It's better to know now, but it's still heartbreaking to to hear s- some of the things that are said in response, people that you thought were decent people. I had to unfollow them because it was just, yeah, I'm, I'm not putting that in my brain. I'm not, I'm not putting that into my world and I'm glad to know now that you are not a person I can be safe around. I'm glad to know that you're not safe. You're not an ally, but I'm also sad to lose these people in my
0: life. Mm. Yeah, it, it it was a very, the combination of obviously George, George Floyd's death, as well as a lot of the other circumstances that happened very close to that time mixed with social media being the amplifier that it is as right. well as lockdown ramping everyone's emotions even higher yes. than normal it, it, it's a very it's, it's just hard to describe isn't it because over here we did have not to the same degree but we did have protests and things for black lives matter um, know, as well you
1: know that it moved me to tears to see that to mm. see the support from around the world but that was the one that got to me when you, you hear black lives matter. And it was just, (laughs) (laughs) and I know I'm a sucker for an English accent, but it was just, it was so powerful that people were, they were, I mean, it's scary to join other people right now because of lockdown, Mm. but to see the outpour of support. I mean, all you can do is send love. It's not like you can vote. It's not like you can change the way things are here, but just, feeling that love sent from across the pond, you know, it was, it was inspiring and it was a challenging, that week was very challenging. I happened to um, be filming from home that week because I was supposed to do a feature film that got canceled because of lockdown. I talked to the director and said, she was really depressed. And I said, well, why don't you just write something that can be filmed at home? And she said, okay, you're doing it with me. So we did it. We wrote it and we were filming the week that that footage came out about George Floyd. And it was just, I need to work. I need to focus on work. I don't have time to be depressed right now. I don't have time to carry this weight. I need to get my, my job done. And things like seeing that support from around the world, that, that helped. It helped me to just, okay, you know, the, the whole world isn't falling apart. There are good people in the world. So l- these are the people I'm making this film for. And it really had nothing to do with that. The film had nothing to do with what was going on, but you know, you're, you're entertaining all the people. And I don't know, I don't know how to explain just how much I was moved, but it was literal tears. It was just, you know, you think people suck and you know, a lot do, but a lot don't.
0: Hmm it's in these scenarios in scenarios of both disaster and tragedy i find bring out both the best and the worst in the people you know and it's a shame there has to be so much horrendous stuff with people to get to the light in a sense and it is quite upsetting but kind of linking in with what you said there of seeing people across the globe and things in support it's one of those things where i think it links in quite well with what you were speaking about earlier with representation because one of the things, um, I keep referring to my conversation with the guys from the End the Black podcast, but, but in that conversation. It was a good I show. About, I listened to that one and you're right. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And yeah, I was very thankful because I could ask them a lot of questions. that I was a bit nervous about asking because I wouldn't offend anyone. But I was like, honestly, I, I don't know a lot of these things because privilege and probably right. stupidity. But the only so way that thing, you're going
1: yeah. to find out is if you make an effort, you know, you, you are, you're yeah. exposing yourself to more information. You're doing the work.
0: That's all I want. And it's I'm so thankful for you to come on and be so honest and open with these things. And I think with diversity, one of the things I I was speaking with for them is one of them said that their daughters, uh, when they watched Black Panther, um, the sister's name, is it Suri? Suri shuri i knew it was suri or shuri and i was like i don't want to say it wrong and think i got it right <laughs> but um she's obviously absolutely incredible and funny when um, my girlfriend megan and i got home to the whole cinematic universe and that was on the couch she picked up on because once again probably the underrepresentation of females uh in it they're obviously it seemed right. she's more, like but... the
1: smartest person in the mcu right <laughs>
0: exactly yeah she, especially when you get to um i believe it's infinity war yeah when infinity and she's interacting with other people and she's just miles above all of them she's so funny as well she's one of the best characters I'd say and with that in mind as well it's one of the things that when they said oh their daughter was uh, quite liked superhero movies and stuff but as soon as they saw Shuri it was like you know a switch flicked on and it it changed her essentially one of the things I found very interesting about that is kind of what I touched on a little bit earlier which is people especially white individuals especially white men we take for granted of representation because I can pick up any sci-fi film, any movie franchise, or anything. And there's almost certainly going to be a white character in there that is someone you can see as a role model. Or when you're a kid you want to dress up as them and that sort of thing. It's it's very, very easy just to the DVDs I've got, you could probably just shoot one with like a Nerf gun. And it would probably be a character in there who could be that. And so that is something that we as white individuals take very uh for granted. And when hearing that conversation, speaking about that, I was just It's like, yeah, for me, it's really easy just to find someone who looks like me. And it reminds me of there was an advert in some clothing store. And one of the models was someone who had, I believe it was cerebral palsy. uh, And they had uh, crutches, but they were a model. Right. There was a picture that someone took of their their child with the same condition and uh, very similar crutches, looking up at the picture of them and pointing to it. They're only like seven or eight, I think. But pointing and saying, look, they're like me. And that, that with a combination, it's like you don't even realize as a white individual of like how something as seemingly small as a role model in movies you like is so easy to grasp, but it's so much more difficult to find one that is not only uh, a good role model, but even them existing in so much of popular culture.
1: And I'm glad you pointed that out too, because I, I took a class earlier this year. I coordinated an event that was to help people write outside of their own identity. And because of that, I took a class with the Nevada Arts Council and they talked about ableism, you know, and ageism, things that I took for granted, you know? Okay, so I'm very well aware that that there's a prejudice against some women. There's a prejudice against people of color. There's a prejudice against LGBTQ community, but it, just didn't occur to me the prejudice for people who are maybe in a wheelchair or have to use a cane or have some kind of mental disability, you know, because of my own privilege, because of my own little bubble that it was like, well, this isn't a problem for me. So I wasn't thinking about it. It was really eye-opening. Just if you go into most buildings, you can see Hey, I wasn't thinking about people with disabilities. They were not thinking of you. And if you are someone who has to struggle with that, you feel that every time you go into the, you know, you're struggling to get into the doors. The building where we were having this talk had a bathroom where you had to you had to go through a hallway to get into the bathroom and there were two doors, two one-way doors that only go one way. Why? there's no reason for there to be two doors to get into this bathroom one would be sufficient and why can't that door go both ways when you're in a wheelchair it is tremendously difficult to have the door opening toward you and try to get out of that door and it, it was just you know i was there to help my talk and i realized i had some things that i needed to learn too and the truth is we all do there's we all can only know our own stories and our own experiences so read more books watch more stories about people who are different from you engage with people who are different from you don't go up to them and say teach me all the stuff i need to know about this don't put the burden on your learning on them but be aware that people are different from you and even even something like one of the things i learned was when you're when you see someone who maybe has a disability and you go open the door for them, they may not want that. You could be hurting them if they are trying to get the door and you open it. You You might knock them over in doing that because they were using that door for support. So don't assume you know the best way to help them. Just ask, is there anything I can do to help you? And if they don't need help, they can tell you that. Don't assume that they are lesser than because they are different than.
0: Yeah, I mean, exactly. And it's... There's, it reminds me actually of, there's a comic uh, series, which is, it's got a, an Indiegogo uh, thing, which I think is finished now, yes, um, but it was, the comic was going to be called, or is going to be called, uh, The Epics of Enkidu, and what it was, is somebody, uh, a friend of mine, knew them on Twitter, and I spoke with them as well, and it's a superhero with autism, and it's based on, I'm reading from their Twitter, uh, Mesopotamian myths, um, and his nephew, the author who made them, and it, it's another thing of just, the the good thing is with the society i think the internet has helped quite a lot in sort of you know podcasts and these sort of conversations and things where the the more we become aware of there being certain issues in you know diversity in any sort of the manners the more we are aware of that that's like the first step and with almost every step we go forward into it, it actually almost sheds a light on even less things that are represent, uh, represented that we thought there were. And it's, as you say, you know, with with disability and things, it's it's quite a, like, most people know someone who knows someone with a disability of some degree, be it either a, a mental uh, disability or condition, or if it's, you know, as you said, the more physical things that are more obvious to people, people in wheelchairs or crutches, etc. But those sort of things aren't aren't shown a lot. In, in a lot of things especially when you see um, I remember there was a while ago uh, there was a Down syndrome girl who I think it was like a clothing, uh, it might be Gap or somewhere like that, but it was some sort of clothing company and she was uh, she was the model and obviously it made her life and she was so excited and it was great. But then so many other individuals with Down syndrome saw that and were inspired and then they felt like uh, they, because I think I read the article and it was speaking to a few different people interviewed and they were saying like, they've always felt so weird, but just going into a shop and having a picture of someone who looked like them in that shop as well it it really helped them and it's all these little ways that i think people undervalue and don't realize can really help people and so knowing that there's a comic out there which is for you know it's going to be helpful for kids if if they've autism and they feel really alienated and they can read this comic and it's like oh my god this is it and one of the other things which is a comparison i've brought up before which is uh, with the lgbtq uh, plus uh, community is that there are for a while you would get uh, if I use standard male gay characters or male homosexual characters, if you get them in a, in a series, they would often be so over-the-top camp and so... Right.
1: That's that danger of a single-story thing. It's like, there's more than one kind of gay man. <laughs> exactly. Some are flamboyant and some you would never even know. They range the whole gamut just like straight people,
0: you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's almost like they're just like us. Right, it's crazy. Sexuality. <laughs> it's it's really weird to think about. Um, but changing gears slightly, um, I want to ask you about sort of your acting and things, if I may. And so obviously you've said that you uh, did that film from home that was originally... Well, you said about doing the film from home with that director who you had something else planned with and things as well. I'm interested as to... Uh, when did you sort of get into the acting realm? And was there... Because acting is quite, it's quite a tough thing to get into. And obviously I think acting is... It's underrated how difficult it can be a lot of the time. So I'm intrigued to know what drew you to that sort of, to to venturing into that area.
1: My character in that story that I told you about, the 200,000 word story, I was a a software programmer when I wrote that story. And the character becomes an actress. Now, this isn't something I ever thought I would do. I liked acting, you know, I, I used to act in school, but I never considered it as a career path. Well, my life kind of manifested (laughs) like following the story. Rather than writing what happened in my own life, I wrote it and then it kind of happened in my own life. Mm. The character gets a certain amount of money, leaves her job, starts acting. Well, I I wrote this and then the owner of the company I worked for said, I can't afford to employ you anymore. Gave me the exact amount of money, which is crazy because... He didn't even know I wrote the book. You know, I wasn't even querying it then. <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody knew. I hadn't even told my family. I, I kept it very hidden. Nobody knew until the following January that I was even writing stuff. And he introduced me to an actor and model friend of his and said, I think you would be really good at this. And I'm sorry that I can't afford to pay you anymore, but here's a connection who might be able to get you started in the business. And it was just, how how does that fall in your lap like that? Like, why of all the things, would he suggest I do this? Where did the topic even enter his mind that I, I'm a programmer, you know? <laughs> why would you think that I might want to be an actor? <laughs> <laughs> but I was very grateful for the connection, and she did get me started, and I've been doing it since 2017.
0: Nice. And have you... Like, have, has there been? You don't have to necessarily specifically name it, but have there been any roles that you uh, did that really uh, affected you, maybe positively? And any other roles that you weren't as keen on? Once again, I'm not on about specifically naming them because if you did any, you weren't that fussed on. I don't want to necessarily slate them but <laughs>
1: out of interest. Right. I I think the one that was most that has most impacted me is Cleopatra, because when I play a character. I start embodying that person. And she is very strong and very powerful. And there are some friends of mine who came to visit and they said, who is this new Tanya? You know, who is this person? And I was very deep in rehearsals for that show. And it's like, yeah, this confidence, that's all her. That's not me. (laughs) That's all her. And I was just so passionate and emotional about every, like everything I was doing was just so much because she is such a passionate character. Mm. I was even with lockdown, I was finding myself moving mountains by will alone. And that is absolutely her. And I was also a little bit devastated that, Oh, I'm not going to be able to let go of her because we don't know when we're going to perform. And I'm just so tired of feeling everything so much.
0: (laughs) That's incredible. And now
1: I'm finally going to get to put this character to bed this weekend. And of course I'm going to miss her then. Mm. And I may not be able to let go of her. It's It's been so long. You know, I've never played a character this long, except for Titania. I've, I've played Queen Titania a few times, but it's more like, okay, we're going to do it this date. And she's one of those characters that I just never forgot the lines for. So it's not like I, it's really just not a big stretch is what it is. <laughs> Queen of the fairies, I am here.
0: <laughs> uh are there any characters that are of like film in general or uh theatre that would be like your dream role, like a like a, a character that you saw and you'd like I'd love to do that in a sense.
1: I want to play Storm.
0: Ah, nice from X Men. Very nice. Yeah. I think it's quite sought after that role. I think you have to try quite hard to get <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: And I might be too pale to play her too. I might not be dark enough.
0: Mm, it depends where... The- I'm
1: also on the tall side and I don't know that they want a 5'10 storm. Well, they... It's one of... The-
0: they, got a, they got a very short like- Hugh Jackman to play Wolverine. Uh, sorry, very tall... Uh, well, Hugh Jackman's quite tall. That's really short, So maybe they could flip that.
1: yeah. And he was fantastic. You didn't even care that he was way too tall to play the role.
0: No, no one didn't even, I think. Because it's a
1: big character, even though he's short, he's a huge character. Like he's just, his personality wise, he's huge. And you embody that. I I feel bad for the next person who has to tackle Wolverine. Oh yeah. He set the bar so high (laughs) that it's going to be impossible. And for so long, you know, we've had all these amazing jokers that, okay, well no one's ever going to be able to play the Joker but it was one performance. What was he in 10 films?
0: <laughs> yeah. I think because yeah, you've got the Wolverine trilogy, you've got the original X-Men trilogy, you've got the first class trilogy, but he's only in the first one as a cameo. So that's like two of them. Uh, so yeah, there are, and obviously Logan as well. But, uh, yeah. Right. There's, there's,
1: <laughs> there's a lot. And days of future past. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> oh mate. There is a, a lot of, it's funny because um, my girlfriend, Megan, she, uh, I got her into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I've got her to see a lot of the DC movies. We haven't yet watched Wonder Woman, but I'm going to get her to watch that kind of in, uh, ready for 1984. And she, when I mentioned to her about X Men, and I was like, I do want to show you the X Men films. But the problem is, there's the original trilogy, which the first two are great, the third one's terrible. Then you've got kind of the next trilogy that's actually a prequel trilogy, which the first two are amazing and the third one is very good. And she's like, but isn't there also a Wolverine trilogy? I was like, yes, there is. There's X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and Logan, (laughs) and the Wolverine. And in X-Men 2, Days of Future Past, and X-Men Origins, they all show a slightly different origin story of Wolverine as well. And she was like, this all sounds far too complicated. But the one thing that she knew for certain was Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. That was that yeah that's the thing. one thing
1: she knew yeah she
0: hadn't seen any of the films she just knew that hugh jackman he's wolverine and it's like exactly as you say some people get typecast in maybe the wrong ways but i think hugh jackman is really just all these reboots of x-men constantly coming out and then he's like right. he's still wolverine
1: <laughs> but he's super talented in so many other ways too i mm. mean that, that's not like his one ability
0: exactly greatest showman he's fantastic. well, that film is plot wise it's all right but the music in it i was so but astonished.
1: his performance that's yes. the thing the way he performs and les miserables like mm. who knew that wolverine could do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly he's, he's an incredibly diverse actor and I, I do i think he's great and what i quite like about actors like him as well is that when you see i like actors that can laugh at themselves quite a lot and that he Mm -hmm. seems very much like one of those characters like
1: yeah the way that he interacts with ryan reynolds (laughs)
0: oh it's the best they they have the best bromance i want them to i I hope i'm hoping they're going to release deadpool 3 at some point and wolverine will be in it a lot like if that oh that'd be the best
1: yeah that would be amazing it's funny that you mentioned the x-men series because my brother just this past weekend he said all right finally just watching them all Mm. but i don't know how he hadn't it's not like we don't love superhero movies but he said, but I'm watching them chronologically Ooh. rather than in order of how they were released. I'm watching them from the earliest date within the film. <laughs> and you know, it's a rough story. It's the f- the first one is good, but then you get a few of the stinkers in there, which I'm not going to, to out right now, but <laughs> they're not all amazing. Like they range from absolutely incredible and amazing too oh i had to see it because it's part of the series but i won't put myself through that again
0: (laughs) yeah that that was one of the things that when when i got megan into the marvel cinematic universe it was quite easy because funny enough she really wanted to watch spider-man far from home and i was like but that's set after endgame i was like if you watch that it will spoil everything you can't do that and she was like adamant about it and she was like no i want to see it if you want me to watch the whole mcu and i was like it's gonna spoil it she was like it'll be fine and i was like okay so we watched homecoming and then we went to the cinema and saw Far From Home. And she absolutely, she didn't mind Homecoming, but she loved Far From Home. And then from that point, she's said, cool, now we can watch all the MCU. And I'm like, but you already know, I'm not going to say what happens, just in case someone hasn't watched the end game, even though they bloody should have by now. But it's like, right? it, it's one of those things where it's like, "Why? how do you not know? Like, fortunately, she forgot almost everything, except the one big character that passes. But so it was like, we started again. And fortunately, with the MCU, I was like, there's not that many bad ones. Like I was like, the generally the worst one for me is probably, maybe Iron Man 2. I don't know. We had this vague discussion earlier, but the worst ones are still enjoyable. You've
1: liked me. Iron Man 3 more than Iron Man 2? Yes.
0: I'm one of those people. It's weird. <laughs> it's, I know. It's We
1: were in sync with almost everything else and it was like, wait, what? I know.
0: I know it's <laughs> terrible. It's, I mean, Iron Man 1, I think is still one of the best cinema, superhero films ever, I'd argue. Yes. I mean, I, I, prob- I would say I prefer Ragnarok, Infinity War and Endgame, but, it's one of those films it's very dark knight-esque where it's like it's superhero enough to be awesome and nerdy but it's also grounded and realistic enough to be just a standalone amazing film
1: i think that captain america is the only one that got better as it Mm. went along yeah like each one was better than the last although you know two and three are arguable Mm. they're very different types of films and Civil War is so close to being an Avenger film because there are so many characters in it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people are like, let's just kind of forget about Age of Ultron and let's just keep Civil War. We can have that as Avengers 2 instead, which I liked Age of Ultron. Not as much as the other films, but...
1: (laughs) It had its moments and, you know, if we didn't have Age of Ultron, we would not have that epic moment in Endgame that we're not going to spoil for anyone who somehow has not seen
0: it <laughs> well, no exactly it's got like threads it, it does work out nicely but so sort of linking in with that because i said to megan i do want to get to watch the x-men films at some point because i'm like well logan is incredible days of future Past is incredible uh and i think first class is incredible too and then x-men 2 is incredible but then yeah. then there's a few which are pretty good but then there are a couple that are just you just watched it. Like, like the this... first
1: one, maybe it doesn't hold up now, but at the time it was great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And
1: you can do more with films now. So I'm not going to criticise the first one because of what it was at the time. But yes, they improved upon it with the second one and then the third one, oh my
0: God. <laughs> Last Stand. Ooh. Uh, that is...
1: We'll blame batman for the, not batman we blame superman for that one okay. <laughs> superman
0: returns so. oh yeah it's also funny with uh with superman is that superman i've always had a big problem with, with dc i've always leaned more on marvel i'm not a massive comic book nerd but I've, I've read a few i've always leaned more on marvel than dc because batman's really cool and i like him but then obviously you got spider-man who's really cool and wolverine is quite cool and badass in a similar-ish way to Batman being kind of badass and not really giving a crap about things. But then,
1: between the two of them Batman's going to win because he's Batman.
0: Maybe, but then Wolverine's basically immortal. In well, it depends on which which universe you subscribe to if we're going to get into the I'm not
1: saying death. that he would kill Wolverine cuz he doesn't kill, but he would defeat him.
0: I think he would. I think he's got enough. And he, if he used a lot of shock stuff. It's like you watch Wolverine go against Magneto and it's like oh no. right. Like-
1: <laughs> oh, big magnet, done, you know?
0: <laughs> exactly. I think Batman could probably figure that out. It's like, oh, you have claws made of metal. Okay, I'll electrocute you and then you know, stick you onto the giant magnet in the, the Batcave. Um, but with Superman, I, I've always had the biggest problem because I'm like, he is so perfect. He's just it's boring. It's the
1: Captain Marvel issue. Exactly. They're, okay, so what's your problem? But at least he has kryptonite. Captain Marvel didn't even have kryptonite. It was no. So your big problem is you forgot some stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll be even more powerful. You're yes. already overpowered, you're going to be even more overpowered <laughs> once you yeah. gain your memory. Wow, scary plot. <laughs> I'm know. really really concerned.
0: How how did you think of that incredible plot and then it's like, oh, she's prob- they were talking about having like an all female Avengers movie with her in it and I'm like, I haven't necessarily got a problem with an all female Avengers movie. I I feel like it's almost but don't do it way. just
1: to do it, you know? It needs exactly. to be a good story.
0: Yeah, they'll just do. What they managed to to do in Captain
1: Marvel is they really threw a huge plot hole in there that I'm not going to ruin for those who haven't seen the whole thing. But let's just pay attention to the Tesseract storyline. And no,
0: (laughs) (laughs) they do cram a lot of a lot of things in there and stuff. But um, I feel like what we should do is we could table this conversation because what I'm going to end up going in a deep dive about superheroes and movies and I already spotted your uh Star Wars poster in the background and oh
1: yeah I am (laughs) that's one of three
0: (laughs) nice well if you see I'll show you the listeners won't be able to see but just in this room where is it this oh very cool yeah and there's a little Kylo Ren as well so lots of things, but I've also got... Stars. So now I have to show you. <laughs> you do, yeah. The listeners are going to hate this, but I'm going to uh, love it. I'm Ooh, plugged in, uh, so I'm having trouble. I've, I've got a notepad with that design on it. Yep. It's Apocalypse uh, Now sort of thing, isn't it? Mixed I'm, with... I'm
1: going to unplug just for a second with the TIE Fighters coming in and the sunrise. Like, that's oh, amazing. It's really cool. And then I'm not a huge Luke Skywalker fan, but that's an awesome picture of just, you know, a little guy against the huge, the huge was beast. Almost David and Goliath. Right. I was always a Princess Leia person.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, she's a badass. That's why. I mean, to be fair, in the sequel, she's probably of the three from the original that go into the the sequel she's probably my favorite she's just she's badass in the original trilogy and then it gets into the sequels and she's more wise and clever but the reason i say it's because i've got like star wars tattoos and things uh, so i'm fully i'm wearing star wars pajama trousers i wore a nice non-pajama top because professional but my pajamas are star wars so uh i think this book is actually yeah my the notepad that you see me scribbling in Star Wars. I'm, I'm
1: sure your <laughs> listeners are thrilled about what big nerds we are.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, they're just to be fair. If any any of my regular listeners, they know. <laughs> I know. Had okay. So many chats with people about Star Wars and the MCU and that sort of jazz. And but, see, this
1: is the kind of stuff I would much rather hang out and talk about this than the lack of diversity in the world. You know, like yeah, this yeah. is far more interesting to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing, and it's like what I want to do is we'll have to because what well, I'd love to we'll, we'll put a pin in this and then we'll reschedule for some point slightly later in the year and then all we'll do is talk about superhero movies, okay. and Star Wars. Right, I didn't and even get to enough. talk
1: about Catwoman, who is my absolute favorite.
0: Well, I'll have to make sure I watch uh the Halle Berry Catwoman film. No, no, you laugh <laughs> and then we could talk. Yeah, we can. Don't worry about it. It's, not, it's a good film. That's not
1: Catwoman. That's I know. That's patience. That is not <laughs> Selena Kyle.
0: <laughs> I know. I've seen from what I've seen in Gotham, I didn't I didn't manage to finish Gotham, I got series four or five, I think. But I watched Gotham and you see the young Selena Carl, and then obviously you see Hathaway's Catwoman in Rise Duck Knight Rises. And then there's also in the original I can't remember which one, but of the four original Batman films, there's the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman as well.
1: But then there's also
0: Well yeah, and then there's also the Catwoman, which is like in the Arkham Asylum Night City games as well. She's really so loads of cat women we can discuss, but I think maybe I'll have to, um, I'll have to watch that really, really bad one. I've, I've no. seen a few clips. No, of
1: no that. one needs to watch that.
0: I think I do. That's the only conversation. <laughs> Two hour breakdown of Catwoman with Halle Berry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the now episode
0: (laughs) oh yeah it's that's gonna be my highest downloaded one ever that's gonna shoot me into podcast superstardom just talking about you know it's
1: funny you never know the things that are going to hit with people the Mm. blog post i have that has seen the most hits is why grease 2 is better than the original why would i I, (laughs) why would i think that anybody else would have the same point of view but people read that like more than anything that i've written that and my My two big Marvel ones. I've done a lot of Marvel blog posts, but the the best casting choices and why Natasha is the most impressive Avenger,
0: Mm. those
1: three get the most hits. And, you know, those were for me.
0: I'm similar with, with my podcast. There's a couple of shows I've done, which it was literally just, oh, I had a mate round and I was like, let's just, we went and watched, you know, a film recently. So it's like, let's just chat about films for an hour. And there's like loads of downloads and there's one my for another one, put loads of effort in and stuff. And it's like, okay. And it's like, uh, that's, that is but this one goes. is really
1: important, you know, It's a, big, <laughs> yeah. a really big topic.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, sorry to downplay it with all this talk of uh, social issues and things, but what we'll do, we'll put it in the calendar, we'll get you on again in the not-too-distant future, and then we'll just talk about loads of nerdy stuff. And okay. I promise, I won't bring up anything, <laughs> I won't even say diversity, okay? I won't say affirmative action, none of that will come up. <laughs> what do you like? I like it when that spaceship blew up, why? Because Thor's badass. And that's
1: that. (laughs) Uh, I'm a Loki girl.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. What we're going to have to do, because I want to talk about Loki as well, we'll have a specific thing and we'll have spoilers everywhere because I hate, like I've got Star Wars podcast that I do on, on the side as well. And it's like, it's been a while since Rise of Skywalker's come out. I can probably talk about it now, but I'm like, just in case there's someone who's holding out, I've not really spoken about it. But it's like, if you put warnings at the start, you could talk about anything. Yeah,
1: I do appreciate that, though, because I hate spoilers. I don't even watch <sighs> the trailers to movies until after I watch the movie. Yeah, I, it, It's too easy to pick apart what happens in a movie in general. So I don't need you to tell me before I watch it, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, I'm the same. It's like when you watch like a film that's vaguely action-oriented, and you see a helicopter crash with the main character in it. You're like, well, now I'm just waiting for that scene. As soon as I get in a helicopter, right. I'm like, well, this is going to crash. And it's like it's only two minutes of footage but it's spread across quite a lot i love yeah, it when yes. i see a film that's got a trailer and all the footage is in the first like half an hour because that's
1: yes because then you course. have to wonder what is going to happen
0: exactly yeah and spo- spoilers are one of the things that like nothing will get people blocked on social media quicker than a spoiler i've had people when the new star wars films come out they would just post blah 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 dies and it's like the day after it come out and it's like i've seen it and you're like, why do you want to ruin everything people love? It's just like walking up to a kid with an ice cream and smacking it out of the hand. And, ha, ruined your day. And it's like, great. Thanks At for least that. you get
1: the immediate gratification for that one. You don't even see the people you're ruining when you spoil something <laughs>
0: online. <laughs> kids can suck, but, you know, everyone knows all Marvel fans are great. Definitely not. <laughs> There's definitely never been any controversy about people being chosen Oh, never! No. <laughs> same as Star Wars. No one's ever complained about Finn being a. No, star. we all believe the same
1: things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Tonya, it has been absolute delight to have you on. And you know, this chat I'll probably release as one. But as soon as this, as soon as we've hit record, uh, the, as soon as I've turned off recording, words. Uh, we not got to organise. <laughs> we work for house. a
1: living, right? <laughs> uh, well,
0: yeah. I mean, pff, I meant to talk to humans. That's my passionate pastime. And I can't even do that without tripping over my words and saying silly things. So, oh well. Give up. And you speak the
1: Queen's <laughs> English. Come on now.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, people down south of England, we, we mispronounce our T's quite a lot. So we don't say water. In this podcast, I say water and I pronunciate. One of my, ma- of my mates is like, hi hey, mate, can you get me some water please? it's like, where's the queens? Where where did they go? (laughs) Exactly. I don't speak the Queen's English. I speak some sort of mishmash of slightly better vocabulary than probably for my age, but also a lot of bad pronunciations and putting the wrong words in certain places as well. It is
1: funny how as soon as someone opens their mouth in England, they're judged. That's the thing. It's not their skin colour. It is... So where's your accent coming from? You
0: know? <laughs> Do you pick up teas? Is your pinky in the air when you drink from a teacup? Because if not, it is. a <laughs> <ladder>. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we'll hang up here. Is there anything you want to add? I'll include links in the description to um, the Bard at the Bar performance, as well as your website, Uh And it's got your blog and all that sort of jazz in there. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we hang up this? No,
1: it sounds like you've covered everything.
0: Wonderful. My notes have worked. Awesome. Well, it's been absolutely delightful chatting with you, Tonya. Thank you so much.
1: You too. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. As I said in the intro, make sure you check out these show notes for all of Tonya's social media, her website, the upcoming Facebook Live event she's got with the theatre group, and many other cool things too. I also want to reiterate that Tonya will be coming on the podcast again in a few months' time just to talk about the things we spoke about at the end there. Just nerdy stuff to do with Marvel and Star Wars and DC and all that sort of jazz as well, including the infamous Catwoman, I'm sure, will come up. I need to make sure I uh, watch a bit of that before I chat with her so we can have a little laugh because I've seen clips of it on the internet and it is not good. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, so coming up in the next few weeks, uh, I've mentioned it a couple times over the last few weeks um, in this manner or that manner. Uh, Essentially, I'm going on holiday with Megan tomorrow, actually. Um, We're not going abroad, obviously, because of COVID and things, so we're just going to travel around England for a while, going up to Liverpool, then Blackpool, then the Lake District, then coming back down through Stratford-upon-Avon and Warwick to go to Warwick Castle and stuff. We've got a lot of cool things planned there. I'm going to do some recording and things. um, There's a potential chance I may meet someone who could be a guest on the show, but I'll maybe see about that after I've spoken to them. Um, But I've got... I'm going to try and keep my Instagram... And to some degree, my Facebook, sort of updated as what I'm kind of doing. Uh, Twitter, I'll try, but obviously with such a smaller character count, it's kind of hard just to, you know, copy and paste from from Instagram and Facebook to Twitter and things like that. But keep an eye on my Instagram primarily and Facebook. Keep an eye on the videos. I'll probably be uploading stuff to there. And also in the car rides, what I'm going to do is I'm bringing my phone along, obviously, uh, and I'm going to be recording basically me and Megan almost documenting what we've been getting up to. So it's going to be kind of like a travel blog sort of thing. I haven't figured out exactly when I'm going to release it because our travels end on the Tuesday. Uh, so we're starting on Monday then traveling and stuff and doing things for like a week. And then we should be getting back the following Tuesday. So, you know, it is kind of like nine-ish days. So I haven't decided if I'm going to release the episode on Sunday like I always do, or usually do, or if I'm going to release it a little bit later so it includes everything. I don't know. It will depend how much I've got recorded. But just for clarity next week, it will not be as good quality as it normally is because I'm not lugging around all my podcasting equipment all the way with me, as well as my laptop and everything else I'm taking, just so it can be a bit better quality. So sorry for your audio files. Hopefully the microphone on either mine or Megan's phone will be good enough. So if you're interested in that, make sure you tune in for next week and subscribe and whatnot. Uh, after that, as I said, there's going to be the two-parter of Bruce Wozniak. Um, I've got the two-parter with Janine Mercer recorded as well. Uh, so that I'm quite excited to get out too, but she said there's no real rush for that. So that might get sort of hidden away a little bit for a while. I did do a chat with Scott Weatherly of the 20th Century Geek podcast, who I've collaborated with in the past. And we've got other things coming up too. That's going to be a two-parter. I'll probably be releasing that a little bit later as well. Uh, we speak about Christ crossovers and some sort of sci-fi films from early eras how they use special effects red dwarf doctor who so it's another really nerdy chat but that is like more specifically around sci-fi and sequels and comics and crossovers and all those sorts of other things but they're the kind of things i've got in the bank at the moment i'm not doing any more recording for the next two weeks and then i've got about one recording a week until like mid-September. And I've, I'm going to take a pause in accepting new podcast guests for a little while, um, just on the basis that if I didn't have any more guests at all from today, as in that I've already booked. So I've got some recorded and planned uh, over the coming months. But if I don't book a single new guest and I do all the ones that I've got recorded at the moment and I, and I also release, I release all the ones I've got recorded at the moment and I do all the ones that I've got planned. If I do all of that, and release them and don't pick a single another guest i'm sorted until november and obviously today is the 2nd of august so i've got two months worth of recording potentially even more if some of my planned chats become two-parters as well so there's lots to do um, my 100th episode is coming up i think this is episode 97 so the traveling one is probably gonna be number 98 then potentially the bruce Wars the Acre one is gonna be number 99 for the 100th one I've got a plan that my mate Reese is going to come over and we're going to do a podcast. Any long-term listeners will know the first episode of Genuine Chit Chat I did, which is called "Is It Ever Right to Punch a Nazi." I did that with Reese. He's one of the people that kind of got me a lot of support, gave me a lot of support when I started the podcast. He has been on episodes since then. He's spoken about video gaming nostalgia with my, me and my friend Josh. We've spoken about transgender individuals and some of the sort of ideas going around that uh, to do political correctness, which was a year or two released now, I think. Uh, and Reese hasn't been on in a little while because obviously with COVID and things I have been able to do in-person interviews and he only lives five ten minutes up the road so he's gonna likely be the one for the 100th episode and i don't know if megan's gonna be joining us uh we haven't figured that out she may not be actually she might be tutoring so it might be just me and reese chatting about god knows what i know probably meditation will come up at some point but anyway so i've got things recorded and sorted for many many episodes to come and then around september october time i'm gonna start reaching the feelers out see if i can get some more people on the podcast i've got about five people who have contacted me who are happy to come on i've just told them i'm not taking bookings at the moment because i'm so busy Uh, and i've got a few other people i want to kind of reach out to see if i can get them on the show kind of high shots but We'll see. We'll see how things go. Obviously, a great way to support this show is to review on iTunes and things, subscribe, share with your friends, go through the back catalogue, see if there's things that you find other people may like. I've had such a diverse amount of guests and things that there's going to be something you'll find that you enjoy. If you enjoy this one, you can go back and listen to the episode with the In the Black podcast, an episode I did as well with Rochelle Lawson. That's a really popular one. So if you go back and find those episodes about those sort of matters they're similar to this one but as i said i've almost touched every subject so there's going to be something that you guys find that you like and the last little thing i will say before signing off is to do with my show Star Wars Comics and Canon anyone who's unaware there's a podcast i regularly collaborate with called Comics in Motion and most Saturdays an episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon gets released that is my second show which is on theirs and It's just me talking about Star Wars comics and I give context how they relate to the films and how they connect to other comics and that sort of things. I vaguely go through the narrative, speak about connections, and the most recent one I did was about Galaxy's Edge, which is the comic tie-in series with Galaxy's Edge that opened up in Disneyland and Disney World in America and... It's got loads and loads of backstory to it. We learn about baby Sarlaccs, which aren't actually what you think they are. They actually move around and dig and burrow and hunt things, which is quite crazy. Uh, We find out about an ancient Sith weapon. We find out a little bit more about Dr. Aphra. Hondo Onaka's involved, who's from uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels. There's loads of little connections. So if you're quite a big Star Wars fan, or if you're enjoying getting into the wider content and you've listened to most of the episodes, then... You'll really enjoy that episode too. I will also say that I don't think I'm going to be releasing an episode of Styles, Comics, and Canon next week, just because I am on holiday and I'm going to try and release an episode of Genuine Chit Chat. But trying to do an episode of Genuine Chit Chat and Styles, Comics, and Canon and all my other things I've got planned to do on this little holiday, it might be a bit too much. That's why I'm kind of copping out with the Genuine Chit Chat, just recording while we're out things. So that's what you've got in the future over the next week or so keep an eye on me on social media as i said i use instagram the most just i don't know just easier and no one really pays much attention on facebook so yeah really appreciate you guys all listening um leaving reviews sharing the show all the sort of usual jazz you guys are doing really really appreciate it and that's about it for me guys so as i said speak to all of you probably next week with the episode with megan and then back to the the week after that